against a hombre holding up the bottle. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv coming from Chicago. Alto, make way for Paul Vato. Butch wow. Bradley in the house. Let me add the oh. weight bot. Thank you, brother. That was hilarious. That was, I was stuck in, in like, you know, tech hell. I'm like, uh, I'm watching things. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here, buddy. It's good to be here. I'm glad you you found your way and weren't we're not lost in the metaverse. Because how, how could we how could we find you? How could we get you back? So I'm glad I'm glad you found your way in. Thank you. I was like, this is ridiculous. I know everything about iPhones. What is happening? Where did Paul go? How do I get in? It was great. You know what happened? I started to edit my profile, to be quite honest, and then I was like, "Uh oh, uh oh, that's the end of uh, <laughs> that's the end of the green room." But uh, yeah, good to be here, man. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, are you kidding me? It's it's amazing. Uh, ever since I've seen you, you know, perform in Las Vegas, I've been blown away and uh, and just you know been following your career and and you know great success has come your way and is coming your way. So. I, I, I thought it was a no-brainer to have you come on and chat a little bit about uh, your career, your your successes, your failures, if you've had any, and, you know, uh, your background and what it takes to be a headlining comedian in Las Vegas, because it, it can't be easy. And it's uh, I think it's one of those things where it's the pinnacle, it's the pinnacle of, of what, what comedians strive to do is to have a show in Vegas, to be on the strip, to be a headliner. So, so you, you've you've come a long way, and, and it's all very well deserved. So, Butch, uh, welcome, and if you'd like to, you know, introduce yourself to to the people that are here, and also hello, uh, beautiful people. Yeah, I'm Butch Bradley. I um, God, I rel- I always dreamt of being a stand-up comic, but I was, you know, you know, to be a to be a state. First of all, hearing you and like introduce me because I live in this strange place where. I forget what I do. It sort of makes it easier to do what I do. And um, I have a tremendous respect. I'm like a comedy romantic. Like, I love comedy. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of guys like quickly in say they're a stand-up. I didn't say I was a stand-up for years. You know, I had a real job, but I was doing the real job world. I was managing nightclubs in and out of Philly and New Jersey. And I was part of a big company. But I was working like 60, 70 hours a week. And, you know, the universe has a funny way of speaking to you because inside I always dreamt of being a stand-up. And people would say, you know, you're funny. You could do stand-up. Maybe you should. And I just burnt out enough in the real world to realize that maybe I should try and do what I want to do uh, quickly. And I can always get a job I don't like. So uh, with that process and stand-up so irrational. I mean, the true comics just refuse medication. You know what I mean? If there was a pill that I could take that would go, you should have a job that gives you comfort and security. You know, you know, somewhere I chose the, the red pill, you know, or whatever the proper matrix choice was. And um, it's been a little bit of a road, but, uh, and there's, you know, you said, what, what are some of the low moments or the tough times? You know, comedy's day to day. Like last night I was dialoguing with somebody and <clears throat> older gentleman and, uh, had an accent, and I said, your accent's beautiful. Uh, I'm not really sure what you said, but it made me very hungry. So in translation, he laughed, I laughed. Most of the room was really laughing, but one individual was like, that sounds racist. So 
I'm like, really? I'm like, you know, but it, it's interesting because that moment of years of experience being on stage, that was something I really haven't seen since like early after the pandemic where people want to police us and, and protect others. And, uh, you know, that moment was awkward, but, uh, you know, I dove into it. I handled it. Uh, you know, I, and it's funny too, being like this pink white face guy, I'm like, Hey, I'm white. I understand. Maybe I'm your first choice of possibly being racist. I think we're at the top of the potential racist calendar right now. You know, if there's a list. They're like, we're going to start with the white people. We're going to work our way through and then we'll find out where the other racists are. But right now I think this group most likely, you know, is, uh, is the group, you know, if, if we're going to uh, choose, but <clears throat> Comedy's day-to-day, you know, bopping through. And um, at this point in time, I know who I am, so I win, you know. And I, I, I go in and out of uh, ups and downs of it, and I feel good. And these stages in Vegas, because L.A. Comedy Club started in, like, a little uh, like a little brawler's boxing room. And I think you'd been there a handful of times. And then this room is now a gorgeous $3 million room. So... Uh, you know, Vegas is, and it's filled. We've got Kimmel's, which is on hold, but we have Brad Garrett's open. We've got The Cellar. We've got The Laugh Factory. Um, you've got uh, a lot of, like, B, B like, the, the like clubs you wouldn't see in Vegas. Like, there's, like, actually, like, a local comedy club, like, Wise Guys just opened. And then you got all these other little shows and little rooms going on. Plus, you got the main stages where you got, like, you know, Sebastian and Bill Burr popping in and, and Russell Peters. And it's, um, it's really an amazing thing to be on stage. I'm like the non, the only non-famous resident headliner. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm at, I'm at like the bottom of the next level fish tank, you know, like, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, you guys got room for me up there, but it's a special place. And I get to get up on stage every night and, uh, and kill. And, uh, luckily, the industry came here. So it used to be as a comedian, you start Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, or Florida, wherever you start. And then you make your way to like New York or LA. Well, as you and I know, it's squeezed in. Uh, Vegas is the, the comedy spot between here and Texas until California and New York really open up like they used to. And um, with that, during the pandemic, I got into Steve Burns' movie, Opening Act. I got a special on Amazon Prime because as crazy as it is, you know, uh, I had Sean McNamara in that little room, the director of Soul Surfer and the director of the movie Reagan uh, with Todd Fisher, Carrie Fisher's brother in that little room, just due to the world being upside down, they're sitting in there. And a buddy of mine said, Hey, Butch Bradley's pretty funny. Let's go catch him. And um, they were filming Doyle Bronson's, uh, uh, a documentary about Doyle Bronson, the famous poker player. Sure. So they had a couple hours to kill, and they just come into the room. And as an entertainer, you'll appreciate this. I'm backstage, and there's only like 22 people in the old room. And I was losing it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be brutal. This is going to be tough. And I'm like pacing. And then I lecture myself. I go, just go have fun. You know, you have to be your own, like, spiritual coach. But you're going to do amazing. Just believe. Let go. Fly. So I calm down, I go out, have a really great set for like 22 people. And two of them happen to be Todd Fisher and Sean McNamara, an actor uh, who you may know, Eric Audet, 
he's in the um, the Mayans and he's in a ton of things and he just happened to happens to think I'm funny and he brought some guys in. So uh, you know these kind of moments happening here in uh, Vegas and then uh, Sean McNamara calls me and had me run some lines for Reagan to improvisational work out some lines for a scene um, in uh, Reagan's career. He ends up at the frontier in Vegas for a, a year or so when his acting career fails. And he's with these guys called the Continentals. So, you know, I have Sean McNamara on the phone asking me to create lines about that scenario, not thinking much of it other than this is an incredible, cool honor, and I'm riffing with the director. And then, like, six weeks later, I get a call from Wardrobe, and they're like, Mr. Bradley, you're supposed to be in Oklahoma in five days, and we didn't hear anything. And next thing you know, I'm in the movie Reagan with Dennis Quaid improving. For like two hours, they threw all the lines out, and we've riffed for two hours, and incredible, man. I mean, that's a lot. I feel like I just spewed a lot to the world. But that really, all that insanity I just ran has been the last, like, year and a half or two years of my life here in Vegas. And, um, you know, it, it started out me tired, touring the world, L.A. for 12, 13 years, and I was in Asia and Singapore and China. And just as my airplane was about to, like, go down, the, you know, L.A. Comedy Club said, um, you know, would you like to try our residency? We can't get anyone to get that 10 o'clock flying. And I was so tired from just touring and auditioning and touring and going to L.A. and scratching my lottery ticket. I was like, I'll do it. I thought I was going to have a couple months off with the front door. And then it just took off. It gave me sanity. And, uh, you know, I have dogs. I have dogs now. You know, I go for runs. I go for runs. You know what I mean? I, you know, I have a girlfriend. Hi, babe. Hey, what's going on? Have a good day. Like normal stuff. You know what I mean? You know, I have pictures on the wall, not like a pile of things. You know, uh, you know, closets. I have more than one pair of shoes. You know, like you're just when you're touring, you're an animal. You know, so looking back, uh, you know, almost three and a half years later since it started here. Um, and then the last two years, the career just sort of, it, you know, it's always had like these moments, but it really got a good skyrocket launch. Uh, maybe because I had COVID twice, God felt sorry for me. You know, God's like, if you survive, we're going to help your career. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, is, is, so. is God, is God doing <laughs> what? Is God Jewish? That sounded like an like an old Jewish man. It might be. It might be. It might be. Uh, uh, I love I love Israel, by the way. Inside, sometimes I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, even though I'm Catholic. So it's funny you said that. Maybe I'm in my past life I was a little Jewish man. I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? That sounds racist. I've been called that before, Paul. <laughs> uh, which is funny. Because out of, out of those, uh, thank you, thank you. And if if, if the uh, if they bother you, if the sound effects bother you, we can always turn them off. No, um, uh-uh. I like fake laughter. I any, I'm a I'm a whore. <laughs> it sounds like they like me. Well, it's it's really people in the audience. You know that they can they they can do reactions. So be careful because you can also get get a poop symbol. Yeah, I've used all of hurt my soul. <laughs> we're comics. There's nothing you can do or say to us. Yeah, gonna... right. But it's funny that you know when you mentioned that 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 you were called racist by one person in a room, 
I'd say probably over 100 people, I'm guessing, or more. It's like a 280 seat room, and last night we so, were at like 220. Wow, wow. Yeah, so they so, were killing and cheering when one white woman, it's so weird because I hate using these these real, um, you know, basic elements to describe another human because I don't even see people like that. I'm a green room human. I have to be in the green room. I need gay, straight, tall, black, Asian. I need to hear language. I need to try new food. You know, being a racist just seems exhausting. I, you know, I don't want to be it would be- <laughs> to hate people. You know what I mean? I don't want to be... I don't, I don't want to be like, uh, Bunch, you got to meet us. We're going to be in the woods about two miles out. We're going to get together. We're going to collect dudes, and we're going to find out what horrifying outfit <laughs> You know, I like everyone, man. I live, I really, it's too much you work. know, it's, 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 uh, I can't imagine, um, you know, being stuck. And, you know, in dialogue now, you have to use these basic elements to sort of, you know, society's there, a white woman, a black person. It's just, that's like, I don't even get it. You know, my group is, you know, uh, you know, the comedians I'm friends with. I'm friends with, you know, all sorts of people in my circle, from a Tiffany Haddish to a Sebastian to a, you know, uh, you know, Avi Lieberman, like, you know, Tony Rock's one of my best friends, Ruba Paul. And, uh, and now it's funny because it sounds like you're putting out your, hey, look, I'm white, but here's my... Uh, here's my friends. Here's my friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, my girl's Mexican. If that'll help get me in, and uh, you know, all right, you, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't think I've dated a Mexican girl because they're, they're too much to handle. No offense, yeah. but uh, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, she's listening, right? I agree with you. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> yes. See, see, see. I just want to say thank you to everyone that is here. Thank you guys for the applause and the laughs and everything. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, really being here. And uh, uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to Butch Bradley, who is a Las Vegas uh, headlining comedian, and he's an actor. Uh, you can see him in the upcoming film Reagan with uh, – is it? Is, I'm sorry, with De- Dennis Quaid? Is, is it yeah, there's Dennis- so many amazing com- – people in it man uh i got to do a scene with the penelope ann miller because she plays mrs reagan uh john voight's in the movie there's so many people mina savaro is that right mina savaro. Like, i'm so weird with celebrities like mina I, I'm, Sorvino? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah 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 i think that I one? celebrities all the time i don't know who they are i'm really weird but this situation was like wait everybody's famous i'm like what is happening here really cool experience and I, and Amazing. I did like okay. a little bit of other things, you know, a lot of late night stuff and, you know, but this was my first like major uh, low level role being around all the big players in a room with um, that Hollywood feeling, 150 extras, extras dressed in the 50s and, uh, and just it was so cool and like really like uh, being completely awake during a dream that I had, you know. Dennis Quaid's here. The other guys are here. The director's here. It was mind-blowing. I'm looking across this theater at a young woman who's dressed as a, a 1950s dancer. She's uh, in all white feathers. And the and Sean McNamara yelled, Butch, we're getting rid of the lines. I want you to improv. And my heart just started beating. And I thought, I, I, I can see this woman in the feathers out there, this surreal experience. And I thought, you know, 
stand-up. I can do this because of stand-up, because this is what I do. And I thought, if Dennis Quaid is cool, I can pull this off. And Dennis Quaid came over and he made a joke. He goes, can you believe they didn't give us two weeks to rehearse? What do you think? And I'm like, man, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And he just ran around the room flying like Peter Pan. And I just followed him. We improv. We went back and forth. And, and that experience is, you know, what I've just always wanted to do with my life. That feeling of sort of being in the dream but awake. It's really cool. And stand-up gives me that, uh, you know, every night. But it's, but it's a different thing, you know. It's a different thing. I'm sort of painting the picture for everyone in the audience Whereas this one, I get to be, uh, you know, a character in the dream that we're in. That's going to be, it's cool. I just dig it, you know. I love it. And and you have, but, but I mean, it's great that, you know, your stand-up allowed you to do that. But you have an improv background, do you not? I mean, starting in Boston? Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, even as a child, I was always improvisation. We're, as children, we're all naturally Yes, 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 move forward, don't question ourselves. You know, you have toys you play with your your soldiers or your dolls or, you know, you interact with one another. And as we get older, I think, like, adults are like, you know, adults are like, don't do that. And, and no, 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 and that gets implanted. But I went to Boston. I was a mem- founding member of a group called The Id with uh, uh, a bunch of guys and uh, Brett Duggan and uh, Al Del Benny. And our regular players were Dane Cook, Patrice O'Neill, you know, Bill Burr. These guys would come into Harvard Square in Boston, and we would, beginning, middle, and end, improv, a whole one-hour sketch improv. And these guys would come in and play characters. Like, they'd open the door and walk in like a sat. It was incredible, man. It was really cool. And we got a lot of heat back then. But that's where I come from. I come from from uh, improvisation. That's Wow! Yeah, yeah. G- g- please g- give it up. Give it up for Butch, please, everyone, and uh, and everyone in the audience. Please do me a favor and just hit the share button and either share it to the world or share it to other firesiders because I think this is such an amazing uh, episode uh, to to be a part of. So, Butch, uh, it just shows you that power of improvisational comedy and something that you said. You know, the power of yes and, uh, and something that you said about you know as kids, as as children, as babies. You know, we're, we're prone to play. We want to play. We want to say yes and we'll agree to anything. And it's as we become adults that all of a sudden we put these, these blinders and, you know, no and whatnot. And that's what our, our, I studied with Del Close, who was uh, you know, gurus of improv comedy. And he taught the people there at, at the beginning of Saturday night live, you know, very a second. Cool, very cool. And, uh, and uh, he, you know, always said that we have to learn how to play like children because it's, it's, we have to give ourselves that permission because as adults, we, we've been stifled. We, we, we don't give ourselves. I can only imagine what it would have been like being there with those characters like Patrice O'Neill and Bill Burr and, and Dane Cook. It's cool. It, it was those guys. So I started at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. And by the way, that's incredible who you got to work with. It's incredible that if you start down that path of what you really want to do, that you end up doing exactly what you dream to do. You're working with people like that. You know, it's when we stop, you know, like I always laugh with my nephews or kids, they climb trees. A kid is not going to fall out of the tree until you start yelling, you're going to fall out of the tree. Do you know how high you are? Like, you know, you <laughs> right? like the kids like, this is amazing. I can see grandma's house. How did he break his arm? I told him he was up there too high, you know, <laughs> 
and, and that's when they stopped that natural like improv or like living experience. But I, I moved to Boston because I had my real job and I thought everyone's going to think I'm nuts to be a standup. And Nick's comedy stopped. My first open mic, Patrice and Bill Burr were sitting at a table. Dane Cook was in the corner. They're like six years ahead of me in this packed Nick's comedy club. My heart was just like crushing my face. I couldn't believe I was doing this. Billy Martin was the host who eventually becomes the executive producer, head writer of the Bill Maher show, the Bill Maher show to this day. The room is just nuts. And I walked up to Patrice and Bill, uh, to Patrice and Bill because they look like they knew what they were doing. And I go, Hey, uh, I'm about to go on stage and um, I'm really nervous. Do you have any advice? And Patrice O'Neill tilted his head and leaned back to give, I realized to give energy a space and he laughed into the sky, like <laughs> filled the sky with this billowing giant laughter. And then he brought his head down and looked me in the face and went, you're going to eat it. And uh, Bill Burr <laughs> and him started laughing. <laughs> and uh, I'm called to stage. And, you know, and, and that's where it all sort of began was, was from Boston, moving, going up to New England, to that whole New England, New Hampshire, if you don't know, and Portland, Maine's above that. And this whole comedy scene, you're driving around in the snow for two, three hours to get five minutes. And then I eventually end up in Portland, Maine with Bob Marley, a comedian, who that was his world. And uh, incredible comedian. He was in Boondock Saints. And uh, I started driving round trips from Portland, Maine to New York City to Comic Strip to audition to pretend I lived there. So I would drink coffee, drive there, hang out and pretend like half asleep. Pretend I'm there. <clears throat> Past auditions with Tony Rock, Sherrod Small. We became boys. And then I ended up out in L.A. at the Laugh Factory. Bob Marley sort of introduced me to Jamie Masada. And I got into the Hollywood Laugh Factory. And he threw me in. And I just started following killers every night. You know, everybody you can imagine. You know, uh, just it was Hollywood was just unreal. Dane was exploding. Like 2002, 2003, 2004, I was just giving, you know, comedy lessons. And then I broke into Vegas and Atlantic City and all these other gigs and touring the country. And my improv is why I was moving further ahead than I should have been because my stand-up was decent. But my improv was, you know, really, it's always been my strength. So that's how that, it's all going down. And Boston could not have been easy because I've heard the stories from from Bill Burr and from Patrice O'Neill where, you know, performing in Boston, it, they don't cut you much slack if, if, you know, if you're not bringing the heat. So it was really, yeah. And, you know, their hosts are all headliners, which I was really confused when I left to go elsewhere. And the host was like, like, Britain. I'm not going to say bad. He's just brand new. They use new guys. And I'm like baffled that the new guy is up there for seven to 15 minutes eating it. And I'm like, what is happening? I realized Boston used major headliners to a lot of us, who a lot of people probably don't know. But that early American comedy scene that started in the late 70s and the 80s was becomes like the guys in the like, you know, 2000, like 1998, 99, 2000, 20 plus years ago that I came under were all major players. You know, Lenny Clark, Sweeney, Kevin Knox. And I always wondered, why are they so good? Well, they've been doing it for like 25 years. They were the murderers that created Stephen Wrights 
and all these guys that went out over the country. It was there, Chicago, and then like Carlin, I think, was at the Ice House in L.A. So those were like those original explosion points. Kennison was discovered going. There was buzz on Kennison. He flew out and did the Ding Ho, a little Chinese restaurant in Boston. And, um, it, you know, that scene, I was doing open mics under these guys. And who knew getting better because I was getting crushed like 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 a train just coming at me over and over and over again. And then one day I was like, ooh, the train missed me, you know, and you just keep going, you know. Amazing, so, amazing. That's, wow, yeah. what what a great story. Uh, and, and then it's brought you here to Las Vegas. And for those of, uh, that just joined us, Butch Bradley is a headlining comedian, and you can see him at, uh, it's called L.A. Comedy Club, but it's here in Vegas. And uh, as he mentioned earlier, it started, because I, I, I've, I've been friends with uh, Joaquin and, uh, uh, and his partner. Is it Matt? Is Matt his partner? But uh, I've been Matt friends Joaquin with... are the partners, yeah. And yeah, they own yeah, L.A. But... Comedy Club inside the Strat Casino. So I've known them because they used to be at the Four Queens. When I first moved to Vegas and opened up Vado Cigars and Binions, which is our sister property, they were uh, they had the L.A. Comedy Club at the Four Queens uh, in in the um, uh, oh, L.A. Comedy Club in Four Queens, right? The Canyon Club. So, yeah, so that's that I, cool. you know that's when I first met them, maybe twelve years ago, and then I knew that then they went off to, to the Stratosphere and had that small room upstairs for the longest time in 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 the the mall area, you know. So it wasn't easy to find. So the success that they had was amazing. But now it's great to hear that they've what they've built up this whole new ground level in the casino room. Look, the, this Paul, have you not seen the new room? I haven't been there. I haven't been. You to the are new... going to lose your mind because I did. Because as much as I love these guys, I will speak candidly. I know the old room, and I thought it's going to be a decent room. We'll see what we're getting into. They have the nicest room in Vegas. It's a $3 million stunning room. It's less than four months old. It's gorgeous. And it's um, com- stand-up comic, uh, like, ready. It's, there's things that we like and need. And the room's a kill box, as we would call it. It's like just a, a room that holds energy from above you and then forward. And you want to feel that energy go out and come back and hit you. And you sort of can monitor your speed and pace. And uh, each room has a different um, acoustic response. And uh, this room's great. I mean, they're all different. I love them all. Like the cellar is a, the cellar at Rio is like a bang, bang room. Like it's just right here. It's um, a little different. Uh, the Brad Garrett's is in a gorgeous room I love. And that sound hits me different. The Laugh Factory's changed since uh, Harry Hazard. He lowered his stage. I love that room as well. But this uh, L.A. Comedy Club is very bluesy and jazzy. So if you're looking for like a comedy store type deal, this is the room because people will run off their line, their stand-up line. They'll run off to the left and they'll just start. They can run a topic loosely in this room. It just allows it. And um, it's the most diverse room. It's very much like the comedy store. You're going to have someone dressed to the nines. You're going to have someone dressed in like, you know, a leather thong. And you're going to have, like, you're just going to have everybody, you know? And it's cool room, man. It's very cool, especially if you're in Vegas and you want that. You really want a real stand-up comedy club experience, you know? And I know that they that they run some outrageous special where 
what for like an extra 25 bucks or something it's all you can drink or something crazy it is crazy i i gotta be honest i hate the specials because 25 dollars all you can drink i'm literally looking at the clock like Okay, so I got like probably nine minutes before this room rotates on me and, and thinks they're at a bachelor party. But it's uh it's Vegas. It's it's a blast because you have marijuana now. People are people are stoned, they're buzzed. These elements also make the room a little muddy and murky, which that jazzy feel, which really allows stand-ups to run into topics they're nervous about. And that's why this room's so cool because I'm in the process of preparing a new special. It's usually difficult because you have to go spot to spot with chunks of five minutes to develop, you know, unless you're Chappelle or Chris Rock. This is how we do it. <laughs> but, you know, in this room, uh, you know, I get to run long lines and, and listen for when the audience laughs. Those are hits. And when I run my line and I hear a hit, hit, I'm like, ooh, that's nice. And then I can bring you back to material I know is going to work or I dive in and, and run improv and do what I call building a village, uh, you know, where I start to collect characters and real life issues. I run my own emotion and like stories through the audience to build like in, a story for the evening. Doesn't always work. I'm about 85%. So it's, uh, <laughs> I saw you back to back. Uh, that night that we met, I, I, I had a friend in town, so we went. I was like, Let, let's go see some comedy. And I saw you do two shows back-to-back, -back, both the same but different. I, 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 maybe I said that backwards. They were different, you know, the same through lines, but very different. And, and it was brilliant to watch your crowd work. And, and, and you can see where, like, oh, I see, okay, how are you putting it together? But it's it was two different shows, and they were back-to-back, -back, so – I could see somebody coming to see you once a week and never getting this, exactly the same show twice, you know. I'm really lucky. The locals in Vegas, you know, come see me sometimes multiple times in a week or people will come see me two nights in a row. It's cool. I, I dig it. And then, if, honestly, if I see too many people that have seen me, I'll rotate the whole show out. I'll, like, ditch. I'll just be like, I'm going to do if – I, if I'm going to use material, I'm going to run this new material. I'm going to run this piece and this piece. And then I'm totally safe. Because my emotion is going to change as I speak to you about driving. It's going to be different than when I speak to, you know, this person or that person or, or anxiety or whatever the issue is I want to discuss, you know. But uh, it's, uh, it's cool, man. I, I really – and Vegas is, Vegas is unbelievable. You look – it's humbling. You've got Lady Gaga. You've got, uh, you've got Aerosmith, the Rolling Stones, Billy Joel, Metallica. You've got – you know, as I said, Bill Burr, Sebastian, Russell Peters, you guys that have topped out that next level who are exploding through the scene. I mean, Vegas is, you know, people discuss Broadway. People discuss these locations. And it, Vegas is really um, unbelievable. We've had every award ceremony that all the other states usually have this year. We have NFL draft. It's an incredible place. It's really insane. We're we're, we're, if you live here, you're lucky. Except July and August, you get a wish. You're going to dream of the color green, and you're going to pray for rain like it's 1822. <laughs> it's incredibly hot here, folks. Yeah, it's incredibly yeah. hot. Um, and, and if people want to come see you uh, at at um, LA Comedy Club, what's what's uh, what's the best way to get tickets for that? I'll tell you what. If you um, are 
if you want to come catch a show and you say that you saw me on Paul's show, you Instagram, add me on Instagram, message me, I'll comp you in. I'll comp in, seriously, this whole audience. It's not a problem. And you guys are just going to be have to make a decision when you get to the bar if you're doing the all-you-can-drink or you're going to have, you know, it depends how you run. But, uh, yeah, just add me on Instagram. Say you saw me on Paul's show, and I'll comp you in. That way you can get a first look at the room. We'd love to get you to come out, check the room. You see my see my insanity live. And, uh, you know, I'd love that. Just add me on Instagram. I'll comp you in. Add me on TikTok. I think I've got nine followers. And uh, <laughs> TikTok's the whole yeah. animal. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I got to dance. I got to move. Got to do this. Yeah, I prefer just going to stage. I really just prefer the art of stand up and then having it grow. And when you and I, I put some crowd work out there, and when that pops, it pops. But at this point, um, I, I, you know, I just I love that road. And I don't have any like TikTok. I see some of these people I'm like, wow, you're talented. You can bounce the ping pong off of seven walls in your home and and make it go through the basket, dude. You deserve. Three million heads. You really do, but I, I I don't know what you're doing to pay rent, you know, or maybe that's how you do it. Who knows? But anyone add me on there, and I'll hook you up with tickets. Uh, I'm at Stir Crazy in Arizona, the 26th and 27th. Uh, great comedy club. If you want to catch that, and you can always just Instagram me for any questions or follow-ups from the show. And I appreciate everybody here. So that's that's amazing. And then also, of course, you have a comedy special. Uh, uh, it's on Amazon, yes. It's on Amazon. Okay, and, and what's the name of it? Is, is it called uh, Live from Las Vegas? It's so funny that title was supposed to be Live from Vegas with Butch Bradley, and then there were some copyright issues. But it's Live from Vegas with Butch Bradley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I just put Butch Bradley, talk to your remote, and it'll show you where I am. And I'm on a bunch of other platforms, but Amazon is really the main one. But you, you can find me out there, and I'm getting ready to do i did four hours they, they recorded four hours of my improv and that's sort of the piece together one and this next one i'm really excited about because after really doing one you know you realize where you want to make the adjustments and now i can look and see these other comedians how they've sort of climbed each special is a little different so uh, i love you know i love that special uh, but i'm excited because i learned an incredible amount from doing that one so the next one's going to be hopefully even better. So, yeah, catch it. Wonderful. And, uh, that that's amazing. So, yeah, please, anyone that's in the audience, by all means, please, uh, please look up uh, Butch's comedy special on Amazon, and you can find it there. Uh, and uh, and so this is May twenty fifth. You said through the twenty seventh that you're going to be May twenty six, twenty seven. I'll be at Stir Crazy in Arizona. I think it's like Scottsdale. I forget where it is, but it's like right in the heart of Arizona. God, Arizona's got great comedy clubs as well. So, uh, uh, and Start Crazy is a really cool, like they're they're like the improvs. They're really tight. Uh, the the caliber of the comics are really good. It's you know some clubs book really strictly. This is one of those ones where you like to have on your resume, like Zany Chicago. Uh, the improvs are important. You know, um, it's but this Star Crazy is really exciting. It's a really a, a great venue, and um, and I've done the Improv in in our in Arizona a bunch. I love that room, but this Star Crazy room is more of a like two twenty seat room. It's or one eighty, and it's just tight. You get that feeling of comedy. It's cool, wonderful. And you just mentioned Chicago, which is I don't know if you know this. That's I'm from the Chicagoland area, so I've, I I actually took. 
one stand-up class there with a guy named Doby Maxwell. This was back in the he's 90s. Like a famous Chicago guy. Yeah, Doby's like a, I've never met him, but he's like a famous Chicago guy. Yeah. Okay. So you've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but um, I, at one point I had a friend that managed it. So I saw, you know, people like Richard Lewis. They're like, anytime that there was, a, I wouldn't even buy a ticket. I would just walk up to the door and be like, come on in. And I just watched some of the most talented, you know, because I was studying at Second City at North. Yeah. And Zanies is is right there, right up the block. Also, I, I believe by the Up Down Tobacco Shop, I was always kind of in the cigar business. That was right next door to Zanies. I was just there. I landed Sunday, man. This is great. I didn't know you went to Second City. Yo, if you don't know people, that is huge. The Second City and then the Groundlings, like those are the premier spots for, um, you know, improv and sketch and writing. And literally, I'd say the top, I would say probably the top, 60% plus of people that are out there that writers and sketch all come from that, those venues. If they can get in, if they can make it, it's so many ifs. It's, it's incredible, man. Hats off to you, bro. I love that. I took my Thank girl you. and I was like, that's second city. That's and, second and city. I feel that, you know, cause I went into Chicago to study, to become a stand-up because I wanted to do stand-up, but then I got derailed by first showing up the improv Olympic and going like, hey, I want to learn how to do stand-up. And Sharna was like, well, we don't teach stand-up here. We teach improv. And I was, I'd was i already paid for it. So I'm like, all right, teach me what you do. But I fell in love with it. And to this day, I still want to do stand-up. I've done stand-up a handful of times. You mentioned Steve Byrne. He was gracious enough to give me really my first opportunity, five minutes. Oh, cool. You know, yeah. opening for him on New Year's Eve here in Vegas three, four years ago. And it oh, was cool. I mean, we're kind of, we're friends. But still, you know, he didn't have to let me go up there and try to ruin his show <laughs> right right that's he's a great you know i steve and i've been friends for years because i toured with it was like steve Byrne, me Ernst, brett Ernst, sebastian maniscalco john caparillo mike young we we would all tour together for years uh me and steve did uh pr- the super bowl commercial with prince with sebastian with me steve and sebastian like those are my boys like we had a blast steve's a great guy he must really like you but he is kind like that. And um, the Chicago comedy scene is top tier. Like TJ Miller came out of your school. Yeah. He'd come down and see me. He's a good friend. He'd come. He just actually came to LA comedy club and did spots about two weeks ago to hang out with me. And, uh, but that whole world, it's a small world. If you don't know people, it's big, but small and uh, really cool. Paul. Yeah, man. You just got to get up. Stand up. And Improv Olympic is amazing, too. That was huge in Los Angeles and Texas and all of those places. I have good friends in all because I'm an improv freak, you know. And, and um, what is it? Uh, God, what was the other? Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. Yeah. Improv Olympic, Second City, Groundlings. Uh, wow. Yeah, all of those worlds. I come out of the Boston id world, so I was sort of like I, I was already on the stand-up trajectory, and I didn't have enough time to go – I wanted to do those tiers. I just really was already, I was at the factory and the improv in the store, just like, you know, trying to get my $25 paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you would have to take a pay cut and spend money to go study improv when you're already on stage, you know, right. doing, but, uh, and, and maybe one day soon, you know, if, if you have more time and you want to come back, I would love to talk to you more technical stuff, like what you can expect on the road, what pay is like, what uh, you know it is is using did improv help your stand up and how could stand up you know help your improv? 
think things like that because these are all things really for selfish reasons because uh, I, I really want to use my improv to craft a stand-up show. And I know exactly what you said when I listened, which which is just, you, I just have to get up there and do it. You know, Bobby Lee would give me that advice. He'd say, like, just do it. He goes, you you, you haven't lived until you've bombed on stage. I, I never saw him bomb, but he said, you know, he's bombed plenty, you know, when he was first coming up. So I, I get it. I just have to go up there and do it. If, if Bobby I, uh, Lee's failsafe is as soon as he's starting to do poorly, he takes his clothes off and he dry humps the stool. So he has always got this. If I did that, I'd be arrested. Bobby looks cute and adorable somehow. He's like, he's like yelling and he's, he's yelling. I'm like, he can get away with this. If I, if I take my clothes off and go to the stool, the room's going to empty. Uh, we were, we were in Vegas. This was when we lived in LA. We were doing Matt TV. And so we, we took a trip out to Vegas and it was, it was like Bobby Lee, Ike Barinholtz, Mo Collins. She was there. Uh, yeah. Seth, uh, Josh, Josh Myers, Seth mother's, uh, Seth Myers brother. Uh, and, and so kind of, uh, uh, Ari Spears, I think was there. Jay Johnston from Mr. Show. And, uh, wow. So we're all in bed together, not in a sexual way, but I remember it was Myers, me, Mo Collins, and there must have been another girl. And, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't, we were clothed, we were in bed. All of a sudden, we, we look up, and there's Bobby Lee at the foot of the bed, naked, uh, pulling on his penis one way, and, and like, point, oh, that's right, he was pointing at his head. And I don't know how, it's like that thing where you rub your belly and do this. He was able to do it perfectly. He was kind of pointing it sideways, pointing at his head, going, I'm not well in the head. <laughs> I love Bobby. I, I, I was in, uh, we were at like the comedy store and he was playing piano late night. And I'd heard a lot of ghost stories about the comedy store. Sure. And I, and I saw like out of the corner of my eye, a, a woman walked by and I go, yo, that woman, there's a woman still here. And she's, you know, in the back over there. And he's like playing piano. He goes, you saw the ghost. And I go, I go, I believe in ghosts, but no, this is like a woman. And he goes, really? He goes, because that room, there's that goes out the front. It's locked off. There's no one there. I go, really? And I jog across the store's main room. I go, I'm going to show you. And I went into that dark space with the front door, the glass facing out of the comedy store. And then I realized I'm in that cornered area. I still, my body was like lit. There's nobody here. And I ran back and Bobby just starts singing to me, Butch Solid Ghost today. <laughs> you know, it's like he's like ripping, but uh Bobby's great. I love, man, see that's why Hollywood and the comedy store these stand-up scenes all kill it. And real quickly back to you, when you want to do stand-up, you just get like four or five stories that you want to dialogue about, and you get up and dialogue until they tell you to come on. And as the audience starts to laugh or you hear your hits. You memorize those or record those. You chop the fat where they're not laughing. And then those stories become more comfortable to you, like dialogue or like script. And you, gradually you'll have one that's a little bit better than the others. You'll open strong, close strong. In five minutes, but four and a half. And if you're two minutes in and you're losing it, you just say, hey, back to your host. You always can get out of this by just smiling and good night, thank you. And they go, you came off early. Well, who oh. cares? It's your beginning adventure, and you're growing that adventure. And karaoke is a killer way to, to get comfortable, unless you're one of those people who love doing it. But those are like elements that you can do until it starts to piece together. But your improv will naturally cover you. 
Because when your fear takes off and you're snagged, your natural improv will be like, bam, 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 bam. and you'll be like, what did I say? It'll, it'll just come to the surface. All of your years of training will come to, your, to the surface. And then, you know, stand-up will be easier for you. It's just going through the beginning process, you know. But, uh, yeah, we've got five minutes for you, Paul. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, up there for 30 minutes. What's happening? Where's Bush? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, you know, put me in, boss. I'm, I'm going to work on it because I would love to work with you one day and maybe share the stage. Of course we uh, will. And so, dude, for real, I love, I love getting people up, especially I, I love stand-up. If, so, if stand-up is something or, you know, comedy or whatever they want, but, my, you know, stand-up, I, I can easily dialogue someone through the basics and get you up and be more comfortable. You know, it's just telling a couple of stories in the beginning, you know. Um, I love it. I, 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 Trust yeah. me, I've, yeah, I've got some stories. I, you know, but again, everyone thinks that they do. Then you put them in front of people. You put them in front of people that are drinking. You put them in front of people that are drinking that are paying. Then you know it, it, it elevates the game. So it's it's well, you're still an actor, so you add the color. You know, it's like reading a children's book. You wouldn't read a children's book like the dog. You know, walk down the street. You'd be like, this dog, the red dog, went down the street. So you add your acting ability in your new material. Like, my grandmother drove me nuts. You know what I mean? You you, you start to add to cover the ground where you're new. And you you don't just tell the story. My grandmother drove me nuts. You know, she was, she was always, you know, you memorize that script like you would as an actor. Sure. And you go put all that in there and you add the color the blues and the yellows and the reds and the tones and the, and, and then you, you know, you get on stage, you're in a show. I always tell everyone you're, you know, you're a standup, uh, but you're, you're doing this show. You know what I mean? If you had a bad day, oh, too bad. You're doing a show. Now in standup, you can cheat your bad day in, but the, the goal is to bring them to a different place, you know, but for you, you have all the skills. You write out your stories, you really add those stories to them. At worst, you're a great storyteller for a short period of time and you start to learn, figure out where they laugh, you know. It's it's fear telling us, ah, it probably isn't a good story. If you tell it in front of your friends and you get a couple of hits, guess what? Those are good. Those are little diamonds. When I'm in a circle with comedians and I say something that gets a hit, Comedians all look at each other like, are you going to use that? I'm like, no. That's my, <laughs> it's my personal story. That's my grandmother. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah gonna... but I can, I can make it work. I can, No, it's my story. It's my story. Well, it's yeah. funny because you've been called a comedian's comedian. And you hear that often. You hear it often. You hear it sometimes. What, what exactly – and I mean, I, I, I know what it means, but I feel like in case there's someone in the audience that doesn't, but uh, can you talk a little bit about that, about being a – I mean, I think it's, a, it's one of the highest compliments that you can get. It's really, like, humbling. It's an incre- It's just – it's really cool. Like, a lot of guys come to watch me run uh, my improv material. And I, I, I guess maybe because in some comedians' minds, I take risk because I go out to open topic, discuss, and run and write my jokes on the fly. So I'm writing hits on the fly, but that happens to just be something that's natural to me. You know, uh, it runs well with me to listen to the crowd and, and I can hear the crowd is hitting on this. So I'll write and speed right in that direction. Oh, they want to go up the hill. All right. So we're going to go up the hill. Oh, they want to go back onto the subway. Let's go back onto the subway. 
Oh, they like a lot of people. They want to hear about characters. Oh, the guy had an overcoat. You know, um, I write that way. <clears throat> a lot of comics, excuse me. Um, allergies, the yeah. desert. Uh, everybody promised me my allergies would be fine here. I literally all night long, I'm like, water. I need water. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think they come watch me because they can't believe I, I cut the net. I cut the net on a regular basis. Usually a comedian would go to an open mic. I knew to hold my residency I had to do a new show every night. I, I believe that I had the possible potential of, of doing that more times. And, uh, you know, I've gotten really good at letting it fly. Late night hosts do a new show every night. They have writers. I just listen to the voices. And I go out and dialogue, whether it's Ukraine or this or England or pandemic or COVID or, you know, uh, marches or politics or my own personal life. And I run them and the comics come to watch. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to really, you know, it's, it's so awesome, but it's nerve wracking because I have so much respect for the industry. And I see guys come out to watch me. It's a crazy thing to catch them because I really want to do well. But um, they enjoy me cutting the net. I get rid of the safety net. And that's where I happen to work really well. So, you know, it's just pressure. And I do well under high pressure and stress. There's, there's a, I pay for it, though, during the day, you know. But, <laughs> you know, as long as I get on stage, I'm good for another 24 hours. <laughs> it, it's an, I, it's an I like me. I like me after stage. Before, I'm like, yeah, who are you? What have you done? Then I get on stage and, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'm, a, I'm all right. That's so, wow, it, that's so funny <laughs> that you go through that. I'm, I'm guessing every day. And you've had some, some very well-known comedians say some very complimentary things about you. I'm thinking about, you know, Brad, Brad Garrett, obviously, with his club in, in, in Vegas, and Tiffany Haddish, who has found some great success. And I, I didn't, I'd forgotten that I actually, I think used to do a show with her called uh, the Southpaw Sam McCluskey show with my friend Sam Krupen. This was in L.A., and Sam yeah. was like, ah, Tiffany used to come by all the time. I was like, oh, my God, that's right. You know, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think she'd remember me because we didn't hang out that often, but, but yeah, we did. She's so down to earth. She probably, I, I bet she does. She's so down to earth. Like, Tiffany, Tiffany literally will text me normal, and it'll the environment will sound really crazy, like you're – in the Oscars, but she's normal, but you can hear like an assistant and everybody just like, just, and she's probably wearing some like $19,000, you know, Versace dress, but she's like, she's like, Hey Butch, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh my God, she's so, so normal. I guarantee she would remember you. She's really chill. You know, um, <clears throat> she's really down to earth person. And Brad Garrett loves my improv. I met him in Hollywood. He walked up onto one of my sets, packed Laugh Factory, and stood next to me, staring at me. That's how I met him. He improv, I improv, we improv together for like 20 minutes. And that's, he, it was, of course, magical and exciting for me. And we crushed. He's so brilliant. And uh, we had a blast. And then he had me open up his left, his club when he was at the Tropicana. Mm -hmm. He had me do a million shows there with him. And then uh, he brought me over to MGM, and he had me open both of his new rooms at MGM, and he calls me for a lot of big private events that Ari and MGM put up for celebrities and stuff. And, uh, and I get to go in and 
do my insanity. So he's he's cool, man. He's an improv man. Like he he's really and he's an unbelievable actor and a beast on stage. So he hits really fast and hard. And uh, those things make you better when you're in those environments. You know, you're forced to, to sort of just get better. So he's one of those people I'm thankful for. Here, I'll show you something. He actually yeah. gave me this <clears throat> to congratulate me. It's from the Museum of New York. It's a one-off of Steve Martin running in New York City. If you guys can, can you see it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's from Brad Garrett. It was a gift. And here's Brad and I right here. Oh, that's fantastic. Is that at his yeah. club? Yeah, that was at his club. That was opening night. That was his opening night, yeah. Oh, yeah. They- but he gave me this as a gift, him and his wife. And uh, so that was pretty cool. Here, what? I'll show you guys. Yeah, he's pretty. Yeah, it's crazy when you, these people become like, you know, your, your, your work environment. This is me and Dennis Quaid on the set. Oh, there. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, here's the girls that played the dancers. Yeah, yeah. It was fun, man. Here's a really old school picture of me, Norm MacDonald, Ken Jung, and Tony Rock at the Laugh Factory. Wow, Dr. Ken. I know Dr. Ken as well. Yeah. Uh, I was there on his first TV appearance with on Cedric the Entertainer Presents. I was, I'd been on all week, and they replaced uh, an actor, and he was the replacement. And so he and I had some 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 words. Look at that. Whoa, what's that's what's, Sean McNamara? Okay, the director of Soul Server. There's Brad again. He's a tall fella. Yeah, <laughs> it's Greg Wilson. There's Marsha Warfield. Oh, I I saw her at uh, L.A. Comedy Club. Uh, yeah, here's uh, here, this is this is a, one of those fun. This is Debbie Gibson. Sure, she she comes to the cellar all the time. Vegas is crazy, right? But uh. Yeah, man. Um, bizarre, fun thing. Stand up. Everyone comes out to hang out and hide in the back of the room to see us. You know what I mean? It's cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And and, and you know what? And thank you also. Uh, I mean, and I don't know how much time you know you, you have. I don't want to take up all your time, but it's it's been such a great interview. I think. And uh, uh, but also thank you for for entertaining the troops. I know that you've also done that and you've traveled been a lot. Yeah, you know, I did. I was in Hollywood and we did Bob Hope's 100th birthday at the Laugh Factory. It was like 2004 or something. 2000. It was before all the world turned upside down. Sure. And I had just gotten back from doing a, 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 a one-time gig in Korea. So I got a little bit of military knowledge into my improv brain. I do Bob Hope's. It's the Marines, the Air Force. Everyone's dressed in eyes. It's every branch. And I improv and uh, I coined the audience. And if you have a coin and you coin a military guy, they have to buy you a drink. So I opened up with coining. And all the other comics were like, what is he doing? The place goes nuts. They start putting beers and shots on the Laugh Factory stage. And everyone was like, what did he do? And um, I didn't know if it was going to work, but that's improv. I was like, coin up, bitches. Coin up. And, like, you know, it's supposed to be this squeaky clean you know, Disney show, and I open up like banging my military coin against the mic, shots, gears everywhere. I go into the branches, I have some fun. And after, uh, one, uh, a general came to me, and there was commanders all over, and I said, you know, I, I want to do more. I want to do more. They sent me to Bosnia and Kosovo, and then um, I did I did Afghanistan six times, Iraq twice, 
and I just went out and I'd go for about three weeks and you'd land in like a, a safer spot, like Bond Grove, safer spot. There's no safe spot. And then we'd fly out in Blackhawk or Convoy to forward operating bases and locations. But I got to tell you, there's whatever's wrong with me is perfectly wrong with me in the way where I loved it. It was scary, terrifying, and I don't want war, but I loved being able to bring something and uh, help people, help bring some relief. And I watched all those shows with my grandfather used to talk to me about when he was in the war and the entertainers. And it was in my blood, you know, I'm from Atlantic city. So I just really wanted to go do it. And I got to do it at a crazy cuckoo high level. I just recently did a, a show on the USS Iowa for the commander of the U S special forces and a private group. And, you know, I just love that stuff, you know, and, and it's crazy that part of my comedian dreams American comedian dreams required war, a real weird moral thing that I sort of got to understand about myself sure. as an American, you know, you know, you know, you gotta be careful. So with those lines, I love what I do. And, uh, but I know now from doing my first USO tour where I had like a picture of me with my hands on like, yeah. And then, you know, educated through the war experience. I'm like, am I out of my mind? You know, it's real. The news and the media sort of twist our brain. But, uh, you know, uh, I love doing all those shows, but uh, I would much prefer to have us not have to do, you know, be at peace, you know, come to the club. But, yeah, sure. man, I love all that stuff. i got to show you this picture. This, yeah, is Bert Kreis- this is Bert Kreischer and us. At- so Mike Young's friends with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he said he wants to take a picture of our tour. So we go to his house. He has a private photographer. He goes, use my photographer. I, he loves Mike Young. So this is a picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my I, God, Bert. I had to, I had to show that. I had to thank, show you. That. Thank, thank you. Thank uh, Bert, you. Bert Kreischer's ass. I had to show you Bert Kreischer's ass. Bert Chrysler. That's right. No, I'm just kidding. Chrysler. Uh, yeah, Chrysler. Chrysler, yeah. <laughs> I've got a photo. I've got a photo with him and one of my 18-inch cigars uh, oh, cool. at, at the Las Vegas Comedy Festival, maybe three years ago, three four years he, ago. He was here at the at the Mad Hotel right around like three years ago, right? Was that yes. what it was? Uh, at 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 El Cortez, they had. Oh, I love that spot. And, and at my friend's place. Um, uh, Backstage bar and billiards and 601 Fremont Street. It's at 601 Fremont Street. And uh, so they, that was part of the comedy festival. And, I, yeah, it was like three, four years ago. I, Burn always brings me to those. He's friends with them. Is he friends with them through you? Yeah, the, uh, the back, the back, the billiards place. I've yeah. gone there and done shows. Yeah, B- Big Daddy Carlos and Ava, uh, they're the reason that I, that I ended up in Vegas because I met him in Hollywood. You know, he owned Velvet Margarita Cantina in Hollywood. Uh. And I would give him cigars to give to his dad. And uh, and then so he was like, hey, we're, we're moving to Vegas. We're, we're going to take over Vegas. Uh, I want you to come out and be a cigar guy. And I'm like, you got it. I didn't think it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, a year later, he's like, you ready? We're going to Vegas. Uh, you know, because he, he had partnered up with the guys that had been the, Terry Cottle, the owner of Binion's and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, so they, they actually had a drink named the Velvet Vato at Velvet Margarita Cantina. So then he and Ava started 601 Fremont and Backstage Bar and Billiards. So yeah, Big Daddy Carlos and Ava are the reason that I, I'm in Vegas. Oh, very cool, very cool. And, and, and uh, you know, B- 
Burt was performing there. Steve Byrne is really good friends with him. You know, Ahmed Ahmed, Vince Vaughn. Oh my god, I know all those guys. We and all that's all that's like my Hollywood days, dude. Ahmed had a show at Dublin's as this little Irish bar in Hollywood. Sure. All the celebrities would show up and we would go. By the way, if anyone sees me making motion down here, I'm petting my dog. <laughs> Quit masturbating. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm like, you know, I should let them know what, what I'm what I'm over here doing. Uh, yeah. M- me too, except I don't have a dog. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's how it all starts. And next thing you know, you have a dog. Then you have two. I actually have two of these wonderful. This is that was Baru. So uh, yeah, he's he wants to be in the podcast. So well. But, uh, um, yeah, we'll we'll have him on. So you're here in Vegas, though, correct? I mean, you live here in Vegas, or I live here Thursday to Mondays, ten o'clock. Come catch a show at the LA Comedy Club. I tour out of here. If you have any questions, or you know, if you're in the biz and you have some questions, feel free to ask me. Add me on Instagram. Best way to find me. And if you guys want to be comped into a show, I'd love to have you. So just mention Paul's name. And uh, yeah, and then send me your social security number, your last, uh, your your you know your address and everything, your PIN and a copy of your debit card, all of that information. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? 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 Yeah, all right, just mess, well, yeah. Just but mess. I get in for free, right? All right, that's all yeah, that matters. No, you do, yeah, right, you do get in for free. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say uh, David, Dave, Victoria, Kaylee. Uh, I can't see that one. Uh, oh, there's a guy named Butch on here. There's an interesting name. Uh, Paul, all right. Just say hello to everybody. Yeah, man. Awesome. I love this. This is cool. Well, I, I want to thank everyone that, that that's, uh, spent part of their day with us, and especially you, Butch. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know that comedians maybe don't like to get up that early, but it sounds like – I get like, up. Like I do. You, I get up early. Yeah, yeah. I do now. I changed. I switched. Did I you got ever- those dogs to make me do opposite of me. I get up early go for the run, and I go, oh, my God, I have to have coffee. Without coffee, I would, yeah. What about drinking, drinking on the road? Did you? Were you ever a drinker, or? I always, I always like, so I don't drink anymore. I don't drink. I haven't drank in a couple of years, but uh, I used to and enjoy it and love it, and then, you know, it, it, it becomes almost like, it almost becomes like eating pizza. You're like, I'm going to have pizza all the time, pizza. And then I have a couple of drinks, and then I went through no drinking, and then drinks, and then your body's tired, and then not until I lived here did I realize the road can exhaust you as well. You're flying, you're changing flights. I was changing time zones. I was in Singapore, India, Malaysia, China, and then I'm back to the States, and then I'm here. And you're, you know, it just takes a toll on your body. And then I, my drinking just, I couldn't do it. My body was exhausted. I felt sick. And, you know, <laughs> genetically, I felt like the brakes weren't working. You know what I mean? I'm like, you go from drinking Friday or Saturday or Sunday. It just, I stopped and did a thing called opposite of Butch Bradley or opposite of myself. And I sort of made a list. And I'm like, I'm going to get dogs. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go back to the gym. I go run. I don't go do these things because, like, I do it for the head to clear, just to clear, to feel good, remove stress, and to make sure uh, I do well at what I love to do. It's funny, Tony Bennett had a cool quote. He said, he doesn't sin on his art. And it always messed with me because I'd have I'd have one or two drinks or just one or just two. and then. But then I thought I could hear that quote. Of course, I'm not Tony Bennett. But 
I don't want to like cheat the audience from me and everyone's got to know their own world. Chemically, I don't drink. I just couldn't. It made me tired, man. It's like eating chocolate cake. I love chocolate cake. It's there. But if I start killing it every day, people are going to take notice. It's not going to do well for me. But uh, yeah. yeah, it hurts. It just hurts. So I quit. And my it, it helped. It, it really changes. If you have an audition where you have to improv with Dennis Quaid for two hours, you better hope you're you're sober and you just ran three miles. You know what I mean? I'd rather fail clear-headed. So, But I love booze. Like people who drink, I go get it, smoke a cigar, have wine, enjoy yourselves. But uh, watch your breaks. Because my breaks, I was like, shit, I think the, I think the breaks are gone. And <laughs> I, I, I hated hangovers. And in our business, it's easy to go, well, Paul and I have a show at 8. We'll grab dinner at 6. I'll eat, have a couple cocktails. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to work. Now it's six o'clock. It's five o'clock. Oh, we had lunch. You know, it just, I just removed it. And, uh, but I totally, I'm terrible because people are like, but you don't drink. And I'm like, well, if you're doing all right with it, go enjoy yourself. <laughs> but if you wake up, like I feel horrible. Well, get two Dobermans and get up at 9am every day. <laughs> That 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 will do it. That will do it. Uh, but I I love that saying. Don't sin. I don't sin on my art. That's that. Yeah, yeah. And I still do sometimes, but not with booze. But you know, but Tony Bennett just stuck with me. You know, you know. You hear these guys in their seventies and their eighties killing it, and it's like you know we're lucky. I complain, but what I drive to work, which is crazy. And I look at the Vegas Boulevard. I'm very humbled and respectful knowing where I'm going and what I'm doing. You know, I'm very good at what I do. But I go to do better every evening because I know Paul's right there and Paul's right there and Tina's right there and John's right there. And everybody's going. And it's, you know, sitting on my ass and not going up there. Like, this is uh, my, my, you know, tonight's the night. i got to go there and do that. So... That's how you maintain or you pop up or you survive. There's a million new guys. So I really love driving down and seeing it. And it's, it's just, it's good stuff, man. But, uh, mm-hmm. but if I hit the lottery, I'm going to probably move to Tel Aviv and be that little Jewish rabbi. I've always wanted to be. <laughs> the, uh, the Irish rabbi. <laughs> right. 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 I don't know. Well, buddy, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, blast. Yeah, and and uh, I would love for you to come back if you, if you find it. Uh, anytime, the- anytime, Paul. Anytime, anytime at all. Yeah, I would love to. I th- appreciate you thinking of me and bringing me on. And uh, you know, when you're re- when you want to do your five, that's what we should do. Put it together. We have your audience show up. You do your five, and then we come back and we talk about what was fun for you, what wasn't, and we do like a breakdown of Paul's five. That'll be a whole episode. Pause. Your heart's your heart's beating already, isn't it? And, is it warm in here? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're doing it tonight, everybody. Paul, we'll see you tonight. Everybody Thanks. here, are you with me? <laughs> Thanks, Coach. I'm ready. <laughs> right. Yes, uh, and no, but when, yeah. So, but when you want to, that'd be fun to do. We can secretly go do your set and then come back to dialogue about it. Um, and, but you know what? I mean, I think without you even having to leave your house or me having to leave mine. I mean, we could maybe even do something like that here and, and dissect it, like, you know, from total neophyte 
to a crafted five minutes if you were to have time because you know I, I know that your time is valuable. I'll, I'll do all the details. I would love to do it. It's it's fun for me to talk about it. I just don't know. You know, if you have an audience that really wants to learn about all that or hear about all that, of course. You know, I'll go to the chalkboard. All right, here's a laugh. Here's a hit. Here's a <laughs> hack bit. A hack bit's when someone else has already done it ten times. It's not your bit. Right about you, people. That's hack. Yeah. You know, uh, closing, opening, what you do in each room is different. Clubs, a headliner, once you're a paid regular headliner, why you're allowed to drop an F-bomb or no F-bombs, or an 8 o'clock show to a 7 o'clock show, or a 30-minute casino set. If you do 31 minutes in a casino set, you might not be paid because you're taken away from the gambling in the casino. Uh, what Los Angeles and New York are, they're showcase cities. You audition for each club if you're lucky enough to get in. Then you become in these circles of people and growing and learning, whether you're a store regular or an improv regular. I'll, I'll do it all, man. It, it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, it'll be cool. if you want to set it up for next Tuesday or whenever, you tell me when you have time. We all right, I'll it. hit you up when we're off here. We'll pick a day that works. That, I think the, the people here would love it. I know I would love it. And it would still live on so people could actually listen to it and uh, and learn because there are a lot of questions. And I know, you know, it's not about the money, but you have to make a living. So I think these are valid questions. Like, can you make a living touring? Is it different now than it was before? You know, how have things changed? Everything has completely changed. That'll be a big thing. And uh, a day job is always going to keep you funny until you can afford not to have it. It's better that you're tired with money in your bank than to be you know, sleep till three o'clock stressing because you only have $90 and you don't have rent and you're trying to find a gig to pay rent. Yeah. Yeah. Always have to have finances so you can chase your dream without, you know, because you're going to have moments where you're starving without having to help, you know, without setting that up for a fail, having a cush day job. You can walk away from a valet job. I bartended service industry rocks. Waiter, waitress, bartender, forever the greatest comedian go-to job. You know, it'll, it'll always be there. I, it carried my whole career. I would make so much money bartending. I was in Boston making so much money. It was really tough because then once I got to host a weekend, I went from 300 a night to a guest spot for $25. And then, I, you know, the stress starts, but, you know, We'll get into all that. I'd love to do that. And, you know, people could send me questions. I'll dialogue on the show or whatever. It'll be fun, man. Well, uh, f- folks, I, I think uh, if-, if-, if you guys don't mind, if you guys do have questions about about uh, getting into the stand-up comedy, uh, please, it's, uh, you know, DM me, and then, and then Butch and I will look them over, and then we'll, we'll answer for you in our, in our weekly or monthly show. We'll see how this works. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great one. Thank you, Paul, so much for having me, brother. Paul, yeah, yeah. Butch, thank you so much, everyone. Let's get Butch. And thank you guys so much for being here. And, uh, folks, I guess if that is our show for today, let me invite the weight bot over, uh, up. Uh, if I can find them. Oh, I got to get used to all this. Where is the weight bot? Um, so, folks, thank you guys so much. And we will see you. I have a couple more shows scheduled. Uh, please look on the schedule. Uh, Victoria Dina is my guest. I have uh, Richard Villa, another a stand-up comedian as well. Do you know Richard? Yeah, 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 yeah. Richard. I have him next Monday. So Richard oh, Villa, cool. and I have Alex Hooper, uh, okay. who's been on. I think it's America's Got Talent. 
professional roaster. So I've got some very interesting guests coming up. So, Butch, thank you so much for being a part of this series. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Bye, Bye, everybody. Another bottle, look a little closer, cigar in Moscato, an actor in improv, coming from Chicago, outdoor, make way for Paul Vapp.